Welcome to The Church Door, a place where I can post my Bible studies and sermons for your listening pleasure. I'm the Reverend Matthew Fenn, pastor of St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks for tuning us in. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Are Christians being persecuted for their faith today? Are Christians being persecuted for their faith today? We would certainly answer that in some places of the world they are. It was just over five years ago that the 21 Coptic Christians were martyred by the Islamic State in Libya. But how about here in North America? Well, we're not being thrown to the lions, and we're not being taken off to be executed. We ordinarily enjoy a freedom to gather together as Christians and worship our Lord. However, because of our faith, our obedience, our refusal to participate in the sins of our society, Christians often face ostracism, ridicule, and contempt by others. This can happen at school, at our place of employment, or even in amongst our family members. Can you think of a time when your commitment to the Christian faith was the cause of some ill treatment? I bet all of us could. With Bible-believing Christians in the minority, we face an increasing pressure to conform to society's beliefs and standards. We can't even watch the news or enjoy entertainment without being exposed to perspectives that are at odds with Christian faith and morality. So despite not being persecuted in a overt or life-threatening way, we nonetheless face challenges. And at times we do face injustice because we are Christian. So in the face of these challenges to our faith as Christians, St. Peter the Apostle offers us a perspective a perspective which will help us to endure whatever society would throw at us. Peter was writing to Christians who knew what it was like to face social pressure and hostility. But they also faced the threat of physical, state-sponsored persecution and even death. They were about to suffer even though They had done nothing to deserve it besides being Christian. So Peter wants to offer them some help, some encouragement. He wants to remind them of something that will give them a proper perspective on what they are experiencing. In one sentence, Peter reminds them of what Jesus did and how effective it was. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Now, no person 
was ever less deserving of suffering and death than Jesus of Nazareth. Even his sharpest adversaries couldn't find anything to pin on him. So in the end, Jesus' execution was illegal, based on trumped-up charges. Yet Jesus, who was perfectly righteous and without sin, took the place of us unrighteous sinners. Yes, the condemnation and execution that Jesus experienced, he bore it because that's what we deserved. He died to take away our sins. Sin is the reason why Jesus died. But it was not his sin. He was absolutely sinless. He was just. But he gave himself out of indescribable love to suffer for criminals, for the unjust, for your sake, in your place, as your substitute. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. Jesus was a perfect sin offering on behalf of others. In the Old Testament, sin offerings had to be made Repeatedly, But Christ's sacrifice was once and for all time, never to be repeated. No other sacrifices are necessary. The sin of the world was the burden that only Jesus could bear. And he took it upon himself, and upon the cross, he made atonement for it. Jesus was perfectly Righteous, No sin of his own. And yet he suffered death as our substitute. That's why, if we are his, we have the boldness to enter into the very presence of God by the blood of Jesus. The goal of his work, Peter says, was to bring us to God. To bring us to God. If Jesus brought us to God, that means that we are away from him, estranged. We're estranged from God because of our own doing, because of our own evil and injustice. Apart from God, there is no holiness, no happiness, no true life. Separation from God means darkness and misery and death. But we can be restored to God. Reconciliation is the message of the gospel. Our Lord Jesus accepted humiliation, shame, death, and abandonment on your behalf so that your broken relationship with God might be restored. Christ died for you because God loves you and he offers you forgiveness. And what's the outcome of this? The death of Jesus was not a defeat, but it was the once-for-all sacrifice that atoned for our sins. While it's true that Jesus was put to death in the flesh, that is, physically killed, it's also more gloriously true that he was made alive by the Spirit. The crucifixion was followed by the resurrection. Peter is describing Christ's triumph. Not only is sin atoned for, but death itself is defeated. And the grave has lost its power. By the power of God, 
Jesus was raised from the dead. And that triumph over death is the hope of all suffering Christians. After the resurrection, Jesus preached to the spirits in prison. Little little else in the New Testament is more obscure than what Peter says here. What's his point? Peter is saying here that the victory over the devil and all the forces of evil has already in fact been won through the death and resurrection of the Messiah. Yes, Christ's victory even extended over the devil. And now the devil has no power over us. The risen Christ made the definitive announcement to those evil spirits. They have been judged. What little power they had is broken. He announced their impending doom. Jesus, the Messiah, has fulfilled the ancient scriptures of Israel by defeating those evil spiritual powers in the world. The ones that are responsible for all the wickedness and corruption ever since the beginning. And now Jesus has ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God. Jesus' victory is complete. That's Peter's point. His victory is complete. Jesus is seated in the highest place of authority and power. Now, everything and anything, even those things we cannot see, much less control, those things must submit to Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, this gives considerable encouragement to little groups of Christians throughout the world who face persecution from local authorities and others. The comfort for us Christians is that the Savior whom we place our trust in has complete control over all our most fearsome enemies, Satan, sin, and death. They cannot overpower us. With such a Savior, there is no reason to be afraid or ashamed when people seek to harm us with insults or threats. For Christians who are often in conflict with an unbelieving world, it is of immeasurable comfort to remember that Jesus has already defeated Satan's sin and death, and so there's nothing that anyone can do to us. But how is that work which Jesus did applied to us. Well, just like Noah and his family were saved from the hostility of a godless world and water was involved in that deliverance, so Christians should appreciate that they too are saved from evil through water. The water of baptism. Peter says explicitly here, Baptism now saves you. Baptism saves. Many Christians are uncomfortable with this idea. Many Christians interpret this passage when Peter clearly says baptism saves, they understand it to mean baptism really doesn't save. But Peter's clear. Baptism does not save because it's a physical washing or it's an outward ceremony. It's not magic. It's not enough that we've had water poured on our heads. 
Baptism saves not because it's a special ceremony or because the water had some magical power to it. All of that is nothing whatsoever to do with the power of why baptism saves. How can water do such great things? It is not the water indeed that does them, but the word of God in the water. And faith, which trusts this word of God in the water. For without the word of God, the water is simple water and no baptism. For baptism to save, we must believe the word of God's promise attached to baptism. Like Jesus said in our gospel reading, you are already clean by the word which I have spoken to you. To receive the benefits and the blessings of baptism require faith. And the point is that through and by the means of baptism, we are united to the living and risen Christ. United to the true vine. And in him, we become alive to God. We bear much fruit. We are dead to sin. And that victory which Christ won over Satan, sin, and death is now ours. And Peter says that a clear conscience is what we look for in baptism. A clear conscience does not exist before baptism. It is received and affected by baptism. Throughout our lives... Whenever our conscience accuses us of guilt before God, makes us afraid of his wrath, our baptism gives us the assurance that we cannot be condemned by God. Baptism gives us a clear conscience because it contains an appeal, a request made to God for forgiveness on the basis of Christ's death and resurrection for us. Without Christ's resurrection... There would be no baptism, no salvation, no conscience cleansing to comfort us when we're persecuted for righteousness' sake. In fact, there'd be no righteousness at all. Because Jesus rose, we have proof of his success in our behalf. And we know our consciences cannot rightly accuse us. Christians are looked upon in the world by our society, as being a little strange. The world does not understand our faith. They don't like it at all. We make them feel uncomfortable. We remind them that there is a God who's looking down on us all and taking account of what we're doing. People don't want to be accountable to anybody but themselves. So don't be surprised when people of this world look for opportunities to make fun or focus on our flaws or, foib- or foibles just in order to dismiss our faith. Don't be surprised when society opposes and even persecutes Christians. But to reorient our thinking, Peter reminds us that Christ suffered and died for us. He was raised to life again. He proclaimed his victory over the devil. And he's gone up into heaven and is at the right hand of God. He is the conqueror. And we share in his triumph through holy baptism. There is nothing in this life that can take away that triumph which you have in Christ Jesus your Lord. 
The fact that Christ has died for our sins and has been resurrected, that he has conquered Satan, sin, and death, means that we can have the courage to face whatever society throws our way. Take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife. Let these all be gone. They yet have nothing won. The kingdom ours remaineth. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to The Church Door. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me, Pastor Matthew Fenn, at revfenn, R-E-V-F-E-N-N, at icloud.com. Look forward to having you with us again next time.